I know that some people are talking about that they feel like reduced when they get labeled like Romani artists or like they do Romani art. Some people, you know, feel like that. And I can totally understand that. Because as an artist, you want to work in different lay- levels and layers. And I understand it's problematic. But, but for me, I feel it's a little bit different, I must say. Because I know I'm an artist that happens to be Romano. But when I say I'm a Romani, Romano artist, I don't feel reduced, really. Yeah. I, f- I feel enlarged. Romatopia. Romata je sintura čeren svatoka trlenđu utopija. Sarbišaja je Evropa teharateavel. So, welcome and lačo divis to the next episode of the podcast Romatopia, Roma talk about their utopia for Europe. My name is Isabel Rabe and I'm hosting this podcast together with William Bila. Hello and a big welcome to everyone also from my side. In this podcast, we are going to talk to Roma from all over Europe and beyond about their lives, about their experiences and about their utopia. We want to present counter-images and counter-narratives to oppose stereotypes and prejudices. In the coming months, we'll be talking to a number of noteworthy community members from a varied cross-section of the Romani peoples. And I'm really interested in hearing about what being Romani is to other people, because we don't often get a chance to discuss those kinds of things. For those who do not know, the Romani peoples are Europe's largest minority. This includes Sinti, Roma, Gitanos, Romanis, and other groups who loosely share a common ancestry and have been present in Europe for well over 600 years. Through linguistic theories, we know they originated in India, traveled through Persia, and were present in the Eastern Roman Empire for some time before dispersing throughout Europe. Their economic and cultural contributions have historically been overlooked. Their history is an integrally interwoven part of European history, which also is often mistaken as one of external exclusion and hardship. Though periods of extreme persecution did make their mark well before the 20th century and the genocide which we suffered during the Second World War. After the fall of the Iron Curtain in 1989, Romani peoples have gradually been making themselves more visible on the European scene. Today, our guest is Lindy Larson Fors. Lindy. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Lindy, we're going to start out with a little game. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, we always ask someone to describe our guest in one sentence. And so we ask someone that you know, and uh, the game part is that you, you should guess who said this thing about you. Okay, fun. Let's do it. <laughs> So here we go. Lindy Larson Frost is the most magnificent merman to ever grace the stages of the world with his statuesque presence. Not only is he an amazing performer, but he's also a very lovely and lovable person. Basically, I'm a fan. Oh my God. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> could, nice could, too. But I love it. Yeah. Could, it be, could it be Raya? Uh, oh, Raya? first guess. Yes. How do you know exactly who it was? <laughs> I love her. Oh, my God. Dearest, dearest. Thank you, Raya. Thank you so much. I love oh, it. Oh, wow. I was wow. thinking that, well, because sometimes we, we have quite specific things that people have said in the past, and then people guess pretty easily. But I thought this one's a little bit vague. There's no mm. specific personal issue. But I guess, I guess. Uh, maybe, well, it was, I got, maybe it was the. You thing. said merman. Yes, that's yes, what I said thought. Merman, yes. And then I had. Yeah, it was a clue. Yes, it was a clue, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's a mermaid? 
She's a mermaid. Uh, I no, see. I the, the, no, but she, we we use that term a lot, you know, merman and mermaid. You know, I so see. Okay. I, that's why you know. Next step is like, mm -hmm. uh, could you describe yourself in just one sentence? Okay, let's see. One sentence. Wow. I need a novel, I think, but I'm going to try. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, I have this friend. She's very, very uh, esoteric and very, very spiritual. And she asked me once, Lindy, have you met your spirit animal? And I said, no, I, uh, I don't know. How, how do I know? And she said, you just know. And, you know, that was a couple of years ago. And shortly after that, I had an encounter with a wolf. Moment, <laughs> yeah, listen, that moment was so strong. It was like so touching. I think I even cried, you know. It was a big moment for me. I don't know how it was for the wolf, but it, it was uh, very strong. And so maybe it's hard for me to describe myself in one sentence, but I know for sure that I, my spirit animal is a wolf. And I was quite surprised because I thought a wolf... Why? Because I thought my uh, spirit animal would be like a giraffe or a peacock <laughs> or something like that. But when I think about it, maybe it's a good way to describe myself. Because when I saw the wolf, it was standing on a rock, you know, it, mm -hmm. it was all alone. But wolves are very much, you know, depending on the pack in a way. And maybe that's how it is for me too, you know. I I travel a lot. I'm, mm -hmm. uh, you know, touring a lot. I'm away from my family a lot. But belonging to a pack is very important for me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe I my I am a little wolf. That's interesting. Okay, great. And yeah. you know, uh, wolves are great singers. In fact, <laughs> yeah, they are. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's maybe yeah, also the connection. <laughs> uh, Lindy, yeah. to to get our listeners know you better, I'm gonna read a short CV. Yeah. With some facts about your biography. Sure. So. Lindy Larsson Foss was born in Lüda, Sweden in 1974. He has studied at the University College of Acting in Stockholm. He has worked at some of the major theatres in Sweden like the Royal Dramatic Theatre, Malmö City Theatre, Stockholm City Theatre, Malmö Opera and Uppsala City Theatre. At Maxim Gorky Theater in Berlin, he performed in the acclaimed production Roma Ami, initiated by Sandra and Simonida Selimovic and directed by Jair Ronen. Since then, he has appeared regularly in productions at the Gorky Theater. He's the singer in the orchestra Lindy and Bon Bon Band. In 2010, he received the Talia Prize for his role interpretation of Carmen at Malmö City Theater. In 2011, he received Sosterholm's Film and Stage Art Award for his collective artistry. A documentary film about Lindy with the title Lindy, The Return of Little Light was released in 2019. The film focuses on his life, art and his Romani heritage and won the prize at last year's Romani film festival Ake Dikea in Berlin. How does that sound, um, except for the Swedish names, <laughs> the pronunciation? Oh, no, Is everything correct? Lovely. Uh, oh, <laughs> do, wow. you, do you want to add anything? No, that's basically it, I think. No. Good. It's, 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 yeah, it's me. It's, <laughs> it's okay. my art. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then let's get into it, Lindy, then. Let's start now. Tell us a little bit about what was maybe your most vivid memory of your childhood. God, my childhood, you know, my childhood is my inspiration, you know, everything 
I create is connected with my childhood. So I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is my family. Uh, we are a very big family and we have a very, very strong connection. And when I grew up, we moved around a lot. I think I went to three different schools uh, in when, uh, when I was in second grade. And, you know, at the age of 13, I think we have moved like 15 times or something like that. But we moved in the same area of Sweden, in a way. We, I come from this... Uh, this uh, south of Sweden, it's very much in the forest. It's like the Astrid Lindgren land <laughs> of uh, Sweden. And uh, it's very much on the countryside. So moving around was a big part of my life when I was a kid. And, you know, another thing that comes to my mind is like, I lived more like in the fantasy world than in the real world, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, fantasy was my best friend when I was a kid, you know. No, and I remember, when, yeah, when I remember when I was really, really young, I, I had this mermaid period of my life. <laughs> and, you know, I was obsessed by mermaids. I, my biggest dream was to become a mermaid. I even <laughs> did my own uh, mermaid uh, costume, you know. I took a pair of, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I took a pair of leggings. Mm -hmm. You know, and I cut long legged leggings and I cut one leg off and then I squeezed <laughs> my two legs into this one leg legging. And then I took a lampshade and smashed it together so it became totally flat and st stuck my feet into it. And there I had my mermaid costume. And that's how I went to the beach with my family. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> but unfortunately, I have to say my brothers... Older brothers forced me to see this terrible horror movie. Oh, what's it called in English? Uh, Jaws, I think, is about yeah, this big yeah, yeah. shark that was very yeah, popular yeah. in the early 80s, you know. And it totally traumatized me, you know. I was totally <laughs> scared of water. So this little mermaid, Lindy, the mermaid has to stay on land, you know. So I, I sat by the shoreline waving my little fish tail. And I think the whole generation of people who saw Jaws uh, <laughs> have the same issue. Uh, I, I also don't like the water that much because... Um, um, unless I know there are no sharks. <laughs> why? Why this boom, 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 boom? It's it's terrible, and you know. But after that period, I started. You know, I had this uh, superhero period of my mm -hmm. life, and to be honest, I have not really left it. I, you know, still I go around every day, like walking around, pretending I have different superpowers. You know, we could say that that was one of your favorite games. That's what you'd like to do. Oh yes. I was like totally obsessed by superheroes. You know, I read a lot of comics and I could really, how do you say, relate to the superheroes. I identify myself with the superheroes. You know, they were often bullied and they were like outsiders. They were different. They hide their identity. and But they had this special power that made them special. Mm -hmm. so, and, and you yeah. created your own superhero, Little Light, right? Do you want to tell exactly. us about it? Who is Little Light? <laughs> Sure, Little Light. Yeah, I created this that superhero. There was a game I used to play. And Little Light is a superhero that uh, his superpower is that he can create light from inside. He's like, he can, his superpower is that he can dazzle people. So he's very like uh, the superhero of light. And I, I uh, imagine like this uh, whole story about his life, you know, and it, it is super, it was super, super homoerotic in a way, 
you know, this little light. He was very, very, very fragile little superhero. And he was in love with this uh, Mr. Boom, another superhero that was very big and bald and had a big beard and was very, very hairy. And, you know, and this Mr. Boom, he was the superhero of explosions. Mm-hmm. And I used to play this. Uh, and they had this very, very sad, tragic love story. They both died in the end in, a, in an explosion of light. So they were... Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, so that's what I... Uh, like to yeah. so actually, Bill but you also you also have a passion for superheroes don't you because you know what right at the moment comes into my mind when I met you the very very first time I don't know when it was 2013 maybe or? yeah in Budapest you were wearing this Superman t-shirt oh yes yeah. this, this very nice <laughs> yes 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 I do like Superman. superheroes I can't <laughs> say that I'm such a that it's been something all my life that I loved the the I'm not such a big big fan but yeah I like the Marvel comics I like the stories mm. when when there's a good production there is something very much to be appreciated mm. there and uh, I think those universal themes of being an outsider and mm. then having the power to overcome personal issues to turn that that what is a perceived weakness to become a strength that everyone admires is is it's a universal story mm. and, and yeah. it applies to every minority to to yeah. be able to see something like that yeah, yeah. Exactly. and also not many people know but there are really some marvel heroes with romani origin like uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. robin the psychic of mm-hmm. batman i think he comes from a circus family and then yeah, yeah. a scarlet witch from x-men dr yes. doom dr doom fantastic four and mm-hmm. even the, the most interesting story magneto yes. whose family was deported to auschwitz and murdered yeah. there but then he discovered that he could create magnetic fields and so he was able to escape the camp with mm-hmm. a Sinti girl named Magda and interestingly even though in the books originally he has um, Romani background in the movie later he suddenly became a Jew yeah. which is again structural invisibility like yeah the forgotten holocaust of the Roma so yeah. it, it must be a Jew in this yeah in yeah, this yeah. and it's, uh, it's a lot of them Romani uh, superheroes like Mystique and Nightcrawler yes. and uh, Mystique too really yeah Mystique, Mystique yeah Mystique is too uh, I didn't know also, that yeah, yeah, I like her I like her a lot I <laughs> but I didn't her. know that and also because uh, Nightcrawler is her child and Nightcrawler is a Romani so <laughs> and also oh, what is called in uh, the one the one who runs very fast because he's the kid oh yeah the, the Quicksilver the... exactly Quicksilver yeah. yeah no so I was totally obsessed <laughs> by superheroes when I grew up but, <laughs> but when I think of my childhood you know I also remember my brothers and sisters maybe we were very very scared of authorities you know You know, every time we saw a police car, you know, we used to scream to each other like, Gora, Gora. And that's like hide in Romani. Or we said, Nosha, Nosha, which is like run in Romani. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I grew up, we didn't trust authorities at all, you know. Mm. Police didn't make us feel uh, safe, you know. And the, the thing that we were most afraid of as kids were, were like child care. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's... Uh, Also, it was a big thing on my my childhood. Were you the only Roma kids in school, your family, or were there other around? No, I had some, you know, some cousins and stuff like that. So I had my some relatives that went to school. But I, because we moved from town to town a lot, so it was different school, but we also came back to the same school. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So your your experience was as a, a traveling was it this was your traveling Romani family it was part of the tradition or based on your parents' work or no it was like more my my mother that wanted to travel she she felt uh, you know she said oh uh, she was at that one place and then she felt oh I feel suffocated here I have to move and then we moved and you know it didn't so it wasn't a romani yeah. traveler tradition it was just your situation well it is a romani traveler tradition but it was not connected to that when i grew up i think it was more connected that my mother wanted to move around you know like it, she felt suffocated in a way mm-hmm. and had to yeah had to move you know Yeah, you once said in, in an interview that your parents' survival strategy was a bit like to keep people at a distance. You already talked about um, that you were afraid of authorities. Was that maybe also a reason to keep the neighborhood on distance to move and move and move? Yeah, I don't know really mm. why. She has this uh, feeling, but, 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 but for me it was nice. I really mm. liked moving around a lot, you know. Yeah, when I think about it, maybe it's strange because we moved so much. But it was, uh, but it was, you know, I was a kid. It was a part of my life. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm asking because I also yeah. moved. I don't know if it's a lot. So, so some people, when I speak to my friends or family in in Slovakia, when I tell them, yeah. "Oh, we moved from Connecticut to Kentucky to Ohio," it was about yeah. every five years. Well, yeah. every five years <laughs> doesn't seem like a lot, but for a child, yeah. it's uh, three times, and, and it's a little bit traumatic, and yeah. it, it has an effect. But it had nothing to do with us being Romani. So, so that's no. why I was asking because yeah. you know, yeah. uh, to someone who doesn't know very much about Roma. Family traditions, they might just assume everybody's nomadic and we yeah. move around all the yeah. time. Yeah. I just want to give the context. And I think yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's important that's because, you yeah. know, I, I, no, yeah. But, but for me, it was like sometimes it was a little bit crazy because, you know, we moved like three times a year sometimes. So that was, uh, you know, a new schools three times a year. It was, it was, It was a little bit different, I must say. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And how was school? Did you, did you experience discrimination um, at school? Oh God, school was hell for me, I mm-hmm. would say, at many places, you know. And I, I had a really hard time at some schools I went to, you know. You know, I was skinny, I was short, I was girly, I was different, and I was... You were short? Oh my God, I was so short. <laughs> really? I was so short. I was the shortest one in the class, you know. And I was Romano, you know, and that was like the perfect combination for being bullied, you know, mm-hmm. all these uh, skinny, short, girly, Romano, you know, different. And a lot of kids made my life quite hard, I must say. And not just the kids, it was the teachers too, you know. So I remember when I, when I was in seventh grade, oh, it was a terrible, terrible time for me because my classmate Uh, told me that I was not allowed to sit by the table at lunchtime, you know, so I was totally alone. I was so bullied. And and I also remember one teacher, he went into the classroom, we had the Swedish class, and he said like, yeah, in front of all the class, you know, all my classmates, and he said like, Lindy has to, I have to take Lindy out of this class because he has a problem with Swedish. So, and I'm going to give him private lessons. And then he made me read books like for small kids, like seven years old or something like that and at home I read books for adults so it was so <laughs> weird this is a terrible story but this teacher also told my aunt when she went to school that uh, at the same school that kids like you like tr- Romani travelers kids should be killed at uh, childbirth so no, oh, it's, it's, it was terrible you know oh. but and the thing was for me it was so 
different because my older brothers who went to that school, they were like so much tougher than me. They were like um, gangsters in a way. They Uh fought fought back. But I did not. I was this little, light, little Jesus person (laughs) that was very, very shy. (laughs) So I was very much a target in a way. Mm. But I'm, uh, you know, and I must say my grades were terrible. It was a hard time. But my salvation came when my family moved from south of Sweden up to the north of Sweden. And, you know, we came to this place. Nobody knew us. Mm. And we moved up into this village on the top of a mountain. And, you know, we became news in the newspaper, in the local press, because uh, my family doubled the population of this... Of, the, of the, the population of the village over one night. And, it, you know, that feeling, you know, for the first time, teachers really saw me, you know, and encouraged me. And I really bloomed, you know, I bloomed. I started to write poetry. This was in the eighth grade. I started to write poetry. I started to paint. I, you know, I became very creative. And mm-hmm. my, in a couple of months, my grades went from like zero up to the absolute top. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I graduated, one year later, I got this prize from the school. They gave me a pink lamp, the teachers, mm-hmm. and a motivation that said, to Lindy for hard work and success. And that, <laughs> uh, well, and that was great. a really, that's yeah, really it was nice a big thing yeah. for me. Yeah, so. That makes a lot of sense. That That's why I think that resonates with a lot of people who lived in a small town. Uh, yeah. I, from my family's perspective, uh, cousins who lived in a small town in Slovakia where everybody knew where they came from and what family they're from, that they couldn't yeah. hide their Roma identity, but exactly. they moved to the big city. And all of a sudden they were normal like everyone else. And yeah. they were able to escape this burden of the past that shouldn't be a burden to begin with, but mm. it uh, allowed them to, to flourish. Mm. That happened to you in the eighth grade okay exactly exactly it was like that you know because in in the south of sweden we were the they call us the tattari kids and tattari is like the how does derogatory yeah derogatory yeah exactly the word of uh, romani travelers and we were the you know oh and they call us all the dirty kids and everything but when we came to the north of Sweden, okay, my family, we were very, very poor and we have always been very poor, but, you know, we became a part of the society there. Mm-hmm. It was more chill up north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time for me. Mm-hmm. And you said that that was also the time when you started being creative, like uh, writing poetries, mm. etc. Was this also the time when the idea of becoming an artist or an actor arised? Yes. I started to have this dream that I wanted to become an actor. And for me, it wasn't like I wanted to do Hamlet or something like that. It was more about the identity of an actor. I wanted to be mm-hmm. like an actor, as an actor, you know, because they, I thought they were opposite to me because I was so shy and they were like I thought actors were like totally open they were fearless they could express themselves they were very very brave you know I remember I I said that to my art teacher or my art teacher asked me Lindy what what do you want to become when you grow up and I said you know I I want to become an actor and he said, no, that's, no, you, no, I'm sorry to say that, but you have no skills for that. I'm, I'm sorry, you, you are too shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, not in a mean way. He thought I was a very good uh, painter. And he said, no, 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 Lindy, you have no skills for that. I'm sorry to say that, but keep on painting. I think um, acting is not for you. But, you know, I was determined. And look at me now. I worked as an actor for 25 years. Yeah, good job. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I loved him. He was very nice. He, I think he was concerned. I think... Uh, was delusional. I thought this kid that 
couldn't express himself at all, should be on a stage, you know. So it was like, keep on painting in your little room. And, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, no. and did you ever uh, question your decision when you were on, on the acting school? Or did, or did you like it from the very beginning? Oh God, I question it all the time. <laughs> since since every, today? <laughs> on a, every day. Is this, should I, maybe I should paint instead. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still painting? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I just got a present and a Christmas present from my boyfriend, my boyfriend, like husband, he's husband, my husband, yeah. I just got married. Yeah, he's an artist, he's a painter, and he gave me uh, this Christmas, uh, like, how do you say, aquarelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, watercolors, yeah. Watercolors, yeah. So I just started to paint again, and I feel, it's, I love it, I love it so much. I, I can't imagine, I missed it. Uh, mm-hmm. When I started to paint now, during Christmas, it was like, oh, I'm home. So mm-hmm. I, I, I love it, actually. Mm-hmm. It's also a good strategy for an artist during this corona pandemic, isn't it? Because being on stage, I mean, I don't know how the situation in in Sweden was. I mean, Sweden did a little a different way through the pandemic, but I yeah. think uh, you did not have much opportunities to, to be on stage in the last months, do you? Yeah, no. I was actually on tour with this Hedwig and the Angrinch. I played Hedwig. It's an old music, not so old, but it's a musical. And I should play it. I had a long, long contract. It was... Uh, I was playing, I was on tour for one year, I should have been, but they canceled it in March. So now everything closed down for us artists. I just did some concert with Bon Bon Band in uh, in the summer, but that's all. But So now that's all, yeah. But I must say it has been, been very different for me in a way because I, I can't really complain because, you know, I have been very lucky, I must say, because working as an actor on a state theater, you know, on a fixed contract, because I had this on the, it was at Malmöstadt Theater, this Hedwig, for one year, and now I have Gorky. So, you know, it's very privileged. I have had it very good compared to many other artists, you know. Mm. Uh, because the corona crisis has not affected me so much economically, I must say, mm-hmm. more artistically. Okay, I haven't worked for a year, but it was like more for me uh, like an existential crisis uh, or identity active crisis. But but it feels like very, very privileged to talk about that when so many other artists have been forced to leave the professions, you know. Where are you now? Are you are you in Berlin? Are you in I'm Sweden? I'm in Berlin. I'm, okay. I, I've been in Berlin since... Uh, November because I was supposed to start rehearsing in uh, in November a new play uh, with Jael Ronan but uh, it was postponed to November this year. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so what's that like for you being in the big city during this this whole pandemic time? Are you are you are you a city person or are you more of a countryside person? How's oh God yes you know I have lived in in like cities like Barcelona and uh, Berlin. And I mean, I enjoy it a lot, I, I must say, but in my soul and in my heart, I'm a definitely a, a, a country person. I live outside Stockholm. I live on the countryside outside Stockholm. I have a house just by the sea. And when I look out uh, of my windows, I see like elks and eagles <laughs> and, you know, wild pigs and foxes and, you know, deers and stuff like that. And when I look out my window here in Berlin right now, I see a dogs. lot of con- <laughs> dogs. No, you know, yeah, I love dogs. But what I see is like concrete and my, right now, my and German... broken syringes and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my German neighbors eating. 
So I have no problem with my uh, German neighbors, I would say, but, but you know, I prefer the Elks. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yeah, you don't want to join them for breakfast every day. <laughs> no, 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 but I really enjoy being on the country. The nature is very important for me. Mm. But, you know, the city also has a vibe, I would say. Mm -hmm. Lenny, how would a perfect day look like for you? Just imagine. A perfect day would look like this. I sit in the sofa together with my father in his house looking at racehorses on TV. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, I haven't seen my father. He's getting quite old now and I haven't seen him for, due to the corona, I haven't seen him for a long, long time. And now I'm in Berlin, you know, but I miss him so much, you know, and I, I miss my whole family. So a perfect day would be like, Also like this, it, it, it is summer at my parents' house with my mother and father and all my brothers and sisters are there with their kids. And, you know, maybe we go down to the lake where we used to swim when we were kids, you know, and, you know, like hanging out with my family. That would be a perfect, <laughs> perfect day. Mm -hmm. And no pressure, no, not that I have to have a performance or an interview or something like that. Nothing <laughs> like that. It's pure, relaxed with my family. Mm -hmm. A hangout would mm -hmm. be perfect. Are you, you meeting often, the whole family, so hanging out together when there's no pandemic? No, not so much. I work so much. You know, I'm mm. always the move, so I can't meet. I talk every day. I mean, every day with my mother and my father uh, on phone, but that's about it, you know. And then I come down during the summer. I can be like a couple of days there, but it's not so much. But I, I feel now that I, I really miss them, so I, I wonder if I should sell my house in Stockholm and move closer to my parents. It's like five hours drive from mm -hmm. Stockholm to my parents. And uh, my brothers and sisters are living also very near my parents. So it, it would be so nice to live near them. And, you know, I miss them. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's time for the memory piece in our, our mm. broadcast. We always ask a guest to present us with a virtual gift. And the guest, well, we ask that you tell us what this is, uh, tell us all about and, and this gift and why you've chosen this. The memory piece should be an object and an item that tells an important biographical anecdote or represents a central idea in the life of the guest. Okay, I, I would like to give music as a gift. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, yay! <laughs> <Yeah>. I was <laughs> hoping for this. And the one thing I want to give you is a video, it's like a video with me and the amazing singer and actress and we know all about her Raya Maynight wow and you know we did this we did a song together at Akidikia Romani Film Festival in December last year here in Berlin and you know during this corona year I couldn't work with my orchestra but I wanted to continue doing music and I wanted to f focus on uh, Romani music and you know I play the accordion and piano but I wanted to to make some you know some new electric electronic music with this old song. So I bought myself an electronic harp that I totally fell in love with, my harp, and my creativity really bloomed in a way. Mm -hmm. So I started to write contemporary music with Romani lyrics. And in this video, this gift I want to give you, uh, I want to share with you, is the first time I used this electronic harp for real in public. And I sing an old, like old, old Romani traveler song in Romani together with like Raya's amazing, amazing harmonies. Mm -hmm. And in the end of the song, I sing a little of my own material. And I made also the, uh, this old lyrics a little bit more queer, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what I want to give you, music. 
Wow, that's great. That's Thank great. you very much. Yeah. Wow, we are lucky, Bill. We received so many great gifts already. Like uh, Miguel Angel Vargas gave us a broken, the broken guitar from his uncle, oh. um, flamenco musician. Wow. From Ethel Brooks, like, we received an old uh, photograph from from her mother. Music also from the hip hop musicians uh, Selamet and Kefad Prizreni. Now wow, music yeah. video from you. That's that's so nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. And also with the lovely Evrira. Yeah, she's amazing. And it's funny. And it's a funny instrument, this electronic harp, I must say. It's very... I'm curious uh, about it. I have no idea. Yeah. I cannot imagine how it sounds. Yeah, me too. I don't know exactly. What mm-hmm. would that be? It sounds like a video game, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a video funny. game? Yeah, like like an old school, like in the 80s. It's like, oh. it's like a retro thing, you know? It's like a retro... Like old... Space Invaders or Centipede exactly. or something like that. Like okay. Something like that. Very odd not real it's like very electronic very like old school electronic mm-hmm. Lindy, let's talk a bit about you, uh, about your work, about your art. Um, you're an actor and a singer, yeah. and you already said so that they are usually ex- very extroverted people, mm. longing for stage. Um, but yeah. you're not like that. So in in uh, in an interview, um, and you already mentioned, you always ask yourself in you how you will survive the next performance. So how does that work? Can you like flip a switch? As soon as you get on stage, because when I see you on stage, it, it, I can see it and I can feel that you're really having fun. So otherwise, it, it wouldn't work being an actor on stage. So how do you do that? How do you manage that? I have a very complicated relationship to my profession, <laughs> I must say. But it's getting better. It's getting better. I can really love being on stage. You know, the connection I feel sometimes with the audience and, you know, the other actors and You know, the text or the music can be amazing and very addictive. But, you know, for many, many years, I suffered for uh, of uh, stage fright, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But I have learned in a way to deal with it. I need to do some things to take this stress and pressure away. And the thing I have to do is I, I need to prepare a lot. Mm-hmm. If I don't do it, I'm, I'm, I'm lost in a way. Mm-hmm. And I don't read anything that writes about me, you know, like <laughs> reviews or stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I never look in movies or... Mm-hmm. I don't read interviews. You know, I, I'm very like protect myself from that. And, and you know, after a performance, I go directly home. I'm not like hanging around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very much like that. And I, I also invented something called instant forgiveness. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's something. It's, it's, so if something goes wrong, I forgive myself directly at that moment. I'm and move on. Great, that's excellent. Great. That's, yeah. that's yeah. Also learned it's like not to feed this fear you know mm. to feed this monster you know it's very easy to do that you know but so i tell myself every time i go on stage and i feel this anxiety i i, I say i have the freedom to quit at any time mm-hmm. nobody forced me to be on stage mm-hmm. and you know and i know i can be really really very very you know as you said isabella like very extrovert mm-hmm. on stage but i'm i'm still very shy in a way Mm. And I I know that theater shouldn't be like therapy, but for me, it is in a way, you know, I, I challenge myself and my fears on stage every time. And in, in a way that makes me grow, but, mm-hmm. but I, I wish it would be easier. I must say, I, I wish it would be easier. Mm-hmm. Which, which artist influenced you? Oh God, a lot of divine women, I must say. <laughs> like Grace Jones, Björk. 
Daimanda Galla, Maria Callas, Ima Sumak, Birgit Nilsson, Greta Garbo. You know, divine women with extraordinary talent. And why do you think that is? Why, what, what attracts you to them? What unites them, I think, is that they are all pushing limits somehow. They, with the voices, you know, Daimanda Galla, I, I think she has like seven octaves or something, you know, or uh, Ima Sumak also. And, or with the presence like Greta Garbo or the independence of Björk or Grace Jones, you know. No, this strong women with, yeah, they are like my inspiration, these divine, divine women. Mm-hmm. And they're not reachable in a way. They are like more than humans in a way. <laughs> and that makes me, uh, no, I, 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 they inspire me a lot. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about some projects that you're working on at the moment? Or, well, are you working on anything? Can you with, with the COVID-19 situation? What's, what are your plans for the near future? Two weeks ago, I started to rehearse at Maxim Gorky Theater in Berlin. Uh, I, a new play. It's more like, it's not a play, actually. It's more like a chorus piece. It's this Polish uh, director called Marta Gornica. Mm-hmm. We made it and it's called Still Life. And we're going to have a premiere in May, I hope. Who knows? And after that, I'm going to work with Jaeli and Raya again in a, in a new play. Or it's, maybe it's more like a cabaret and it's called Slippery Slope. Songs for Declining Democracies. It's going to premiere in November at Gorky. I just made a record with my orchestra, Lindian Bongo yeah. Band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are going to release it this year, I hope. It's our first album, so I hope it's, uh, it's going to be great. And I'm writing right now together with my husband a play for a theatre in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. And the work title is, it, it sounds boring, but the work title is Tataran, a Romani reconstruction of a lost identity. It sounds a little bit clinic, maybe, uh-huh. or pretentious. Uh, it's just a work title. And, uh, and this play is basically about like visibility and silence. And it's a play about when we, the Romani travelers, were very much visible in the Swedish society. And it's also about, you know, me reflecting myself as a Romani in the Swedish literature canon, in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's also about the Swedish darkness and the Swedish blind spot that I used to call them about when it comes to us Romani travelers. But, but I don't know what it's going to be. We're going to premiere, I think, in 2022 about it. Mm-hmm. So. Can you say anything uh, a little bit more about that? Because uh, I'm curious about, that's a completely new subject to me. I have no idea what that could be. What? How was Swedish society more involved in, in Roma activities or, or the media? And I don't know, different Roma groups that are in Sweden. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know other than I know that there are Roma that have been there for centuries and then yeah. there are immigrant Roma, but I don't yeah. know. Uh, if, if, can you say anything about? You know, my, my group was very much uh, visible in the society you know, during the first years of like, uh, do you say the 20th century in the beginning of the yeah. 20th century? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before uh, the First World War. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, uh, politicians were very much concerned about our group because, you know, I come from this group, Roman Travels, and we had been in Sweden for a very, very long time, you know. And then we had the other Roman groups that, as you said, came later. And in the... Uh, early 90s, you know, they started to separate our groups, you know, we were, because we were considered to be Swedish, in a way, because we have been in Sweden for so long time, but the politicians were like, it was like building the a new society, you know, they wanted to get rid of this bad gene, we were, oh. 
And that's why this started, because the other Roma groups, they thought, were not Swedish, so they could kick them out. But we were Swedish, so they wanted to exterminate us in a way. And that's when it all started, to, when they took away. There were forced abortion, it was sterilizations, mm -hmm. and that it was also this, uh, they went into Romani traveler homes and took the kids and put them in childcare and institutions. That happened to a lot of people in my family. So, you know, it was like, uh, it's so weird, you know, uh, because... In 1974, the year I was born, it was like a very good year for Sweden. I must say, but Abba won the Swedish Song Contest. I won. I, I was born, and it also was the year. And it also was the year that when they stopped to, it was not allowed to sterilize Romani travelers anymore. Mm -hmm. In Sweden today, a distinction is made between two major groups of Romani peoples. The first group is known as Swedish travelers or Romani travelers, and they have been present for over 500 years. Towards the end of the 19th century, new groups arrived. The latter are referred to as Swedish Romani and earned their living as coppersmiths, tinkers, silversmiths, and musicians. Both groups were prevented from settling in permanent housing until the 1960s and were subject to forced sterilization until the 1970s. Do you see any changes right now? Because I read that the Swedish government had, had established a commission to fight anti-Ziganism and there are some civil rights movement icons like Soraya Post, mm. who's in the EU parliament. Do you see any yeah. changes at the moment? I, I see, like, from the group I come from, like the Romani travelers, we, we were, after this, uh, like in in the 80s and 90s, from 1970s or 60s maybe even, we started to hide ourselves and became very uh, invisible in a way. I think it was a survival mm. technique in a way. But now we have started to uh, rise our, uh, our voices and I think that's really, really good, you know. Mm. And I can really hear it and I can see it also. Things are happening, so yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Dini, let's come back to your work and, and yeah. to the art. You worked in the production Roma Army. I already mentioned yeah. it in Berlin, which was yeah. very important and also very special for you. Can you describe why? Oh my God, Roma Army. I think Roma Army is the most important thing I've ever done, to mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm very, very proud of what we created there in Berlin in 2017. And then it's very much an ongoing project. We are still... Uh, playing it so yeah mm -hmm. but you know it all started that i got a mail from max and gorky theater it was in 2016. Uh, gorky said like hi we are planning to do this show called roma army and we are interested to get in touch with you and you know at that time i had uh, signed a contract at a big theater in a long 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 contract at a big theater in sweden so it, uh, it was not possible for me to be part of, of the Roma army, but Gorky said, yeah, come down anyway and meet the director. We can just talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I went down to Berlin and I met the, the director, Jael Ronan, and I saw a couple of her shows and I was totally blown away. Mm -hmm. I thought they were amazing. And I asked her like, how did you get my name? And she said, yeah, no, I, that she had been at, at the Stockholm City Theater. It was just a coincidence. She has been at the Stockholm City Theater and mentioned there that she was doing this Roma Army 
and that she was looking for actors that belong to the Roma minority. And she asked, do you have any actors in Sweden that belong to the Roma minority? And he said, and someone said, yeah, we have one, <laughs> Lindy, Lindy Larsa. <laughs> and then they said, but we're not sure that is totally open with it. So but anyway, she remembered my name and uh, yeah, sent me a mail. Mm-hmm. But you know, and then we all, I, I talked uh, with both Gael and the dramaturg Irina about what they wanted to do with Romarm and they said that was Sandra and Simonita an idea from, the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, from them and they also talked about the whole idea with Romarm is that was that we the Romani people should take the stage and tell our stories mm-hmm. while we visions with our own words in a way you know it sounded amazing and you know I went down to uh, Berlin and Gorky with the conviction that I had Polite, uh, that I must say no, like politely <laughs> say no to Rome Army. But when I went back to Sweden, I was determined that I had to say yes to it. And thank God it all worked out. We're all but very happy that it worked out. We're <laughs> yes, very happy. Absolutely. We're very happy yeah. that you made this decision and you can make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, it was, it was so interesting to rehearse it also because, you know, one of the first memories I have is just in the beginning, we were, uh, we were at this small, how do you say, Roma clubhouse? Do you say clubhouse? Ferien, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah clubhouse. Mm-hmm. In Neukölln, I think, I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And we had some lecture about something I can't remember, and, and we did some improvisation. But, you know, the other actors in Roma Army, that were Roma, you know, they had worked as Roma activists for a long time, or they come from, like, a Roma activist environment. And, you know, their work was so deeply rooted in the Roma community. And that was not the case for me. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I've always been open that I was a Romani traveler. And, you know, I talked about it in several interviews on TV and in newspapers and stuff like that. And I also had used my Roman heritage on some theater productions. For example, when I did this uh, Carmen at Malmö City Theatre, I want, wanted my Carmen to have uh, this uh, traveler touch. And also when I did a performance of Wagner's opera Siegfried, I started whole performance singing the hero aria uh, Norton in Romani. So, you know, uh, <laughs> so, but that was uh, my only connection in a way. I didn't feel that I was a part of a Romani movement like mm-hmm. the others. And has that changed now after Roma Army? Do you feel part of the movement? Absolutely. I'm totally part of the movement now. I think we all think that you're part of the movement. You're a big part of the movement now, a very visible part of it. I I felt very isolated before. I don't feel like that anymore, you know. Mm. But, you know, it was so funny. When we're in this little Roma clubhouse, Jaili asked with one word describe what our visions were for for the project with Roma. Just one word. And remember the other actors were like, Roma revolt. And I was like identity <laughs> for me and that's what, how it has been for me this Roma army has been like a identity journey for me in a way I love playing Roma army I must say that I feel like Roma army I feel like I'm an extended version of myself <laughs> because I use I use my full potential in that play I think my skills are used as full as I play the accordion you know I sing I dance I vote I act I don't act I, I'm, I'm a superhero I'm a mermaid <laughs> <laughs> and this time the mermaid is in her right element i must say yeah. <laughs> and also the costumes i mean yeah. i wear these amazing amazing costumes designed by delaine and damien yeah, yeah. And, yes. rem- and yeah, the stage I- design I is- so much and especially one you know they asked me during the rehearsals once linda do you have an idea of a uh, costume that you want to wear 
And I started to talk about my daddy's tattoos. My daddy's tattooed all over yeah. his body. It's just, I think it's just his face and some parts of his hands that not, are not covered in ink. Mm -hmm. And I said, can't we do something with that? And this, they really liked the idea. So my mother took pictures of my dad and sent them down to Berlin. And then Damien, like, in spite of my daddy's tattoos, like, made these costumes. This bodysuit I wear is really filled with, you know, like, snakes and pawn yeah. and mermaids and knives and eyes. And you, and I have this big, big Romany uh, wheel on my heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. know that, that. That Even the costume is, is autobiographical. I didn't that's know that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because that's a part of this shame and pride, you know, mm -hmm. because my father has always, always try to hide his tattoos, you know. But for me, I stand on a stage, like in his skin in a way, mm -hmm. uh, on a stage in full light, in his body, in his uh, skin in a way. And mm -hmm. for me, that is like turning shame into pride. I mm -hmm. Yeah, but wasn't that an issue? For, I mean, it's part of the story for yeah. not just you, also for several of the other actors when they talk about their family and the, mm. the, not being sure if they want to be seen in public talking about certain things or to talk about their personal issues and just exposing the fact that you're Romani. You weren't so sure in the beginning. No, uh, listen, it was, uh, for me, I, I can say it was a blessing that we were in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do the same performance in Sweden yeah. because I felt free in Berlin, I must say. I could talk about family stories, you know, that I couldn't have talked about in Sweden. That's the whole thing. I think I discuss it a lot in this uh, documentary. But in Berlin, I could really feel yeah. free in a way. Yeah, I understand completely. Well, I have the yeah. same issue. I can talk about all my Roma stuff on the internet in Berlin, in Paris, in New York. But when I go to Slovakia, I keep my mouth shut because... <laughs> That's how it is. It's how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what about your career? Has anything changed since, since Roma Army? Are you getting more offers? Are you getting more interesting topics that you get to deal with on stage? Or what's changed for you? I think I have become like a Romani activist in a way mm -hmm. that I wasn't before. And also I, I get a lot, uh, I, I also have a platform now that I can express important topics on like, and I also feel that I, I also, you know, I, I got just uh, in contact with a theater in Stockholm that said, yeah, we saw Roman and it was amazing. And do you want to write a play about Romani travelers for us? And yeah, of course. So mm -hmm. it, it generated a lot, I must say. So your art became a political tool somehow, a tool of resistance. Yeah, sure. I hope you get to still perform this again. I want to see you in Madrid. I want to see you in New York. I would love exactly. to see you in Paris too. Uh, I don't know about like an English-German play working in France, uh, but I, I know it would work in Spain. I know it would work in New York. I think you could do it. Uh, and I, I would like to see it here. I, yeah. Or maybe even like a French adaptation so that it ap appeals to more people because we need it. We need it badly. I would love to play it everywhere. You know, mm. I love to play it. I, I, as I said, it's the most important thing I've ever done. Sandra and Simonida were our guests in one of our last podcast episodes. And they told us that the original idea was that it's going to be performed in each and every country the actors mm -hmm. come from. So maybe, but would you, you, you were hesitating before, you would not like to put it on stage in Sweden, right? No, mm. it was, yeah. uh, it's all connected with my family. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not yeah. my family, yeah. relatives, you know. Yeah. yeah. Because I, when every, every single time, you know, before Rome Army, when I talked about my heritage, you know, I got this reaction from some of my relatives that said, please, don't out us mm. because every single person in my family has been bullied for being a Roman traveler, you know, yeah. and they, uh, and my relatives too. And they said, 
please, we don't want our kids to grow up, uh, you know, with this uh, uh, being bullied and stuff like that. So. We'll, we'll help you lobby. We'll, instead of Sweden, <laughs> yeah. you, do, you, do, you do New York or Madrid. Yeah, and, yeah. And <laughs> that would sound amazing. You anyway decided to do um, the documentary, Lindy, Return to the Light. So who had the idea and, and what obstacles did you face? Oh, God. The documentary Lindy Return of Light was quite a journey, I must say. <laughs> And it, it, it all started with an interview. You know, I, I was doing this uh, this old musical cabaret at mm -hmm. Malmö City Theatre. And I played this part, you know, the Coffrassière, the MC. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> And amazing. I dreamt about it for years, you know, and I got this part and it was amazing. And then a journalist contacted me called Ida and she wanted to make an interview with me and this interview was very very personal you know I talked about you know being an actor of course but also like uh, growing up in a small town and you know being bullied and feeling different and I talked about my family and I talked about being a Romani traveler and after it was published I got this text message from her she said I would like to do a uh, documentary film about you are you up for it and it took me nine months to answer <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, I said yes, because I have a problem saying no. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, we're going to film for like three days and then we're going to drop it. But it, it ended up that she followed me for almost four years. But I must say it was quite a roller coaster. It, it, <laughs> because I say in the documentary that it's easier for me coming out as gay than as a Romano. Mm -hmm. Because me coming out as gay just affects me, you know. But me coming out as Romani, I have to out my whole family and yeah. out my relatives and everything. In Sweden, but not in Berlin. Exactly. Because this film was made for the Swedish television. Yes. Yeah. So it was like, oh God, because if I gonna talk about my heritage, I needed my family to be part of the movie. But it was not easy, I can say, to get them on board. And I remember the first time my mother met the film crew, it was a total disaster. It ended up that she threw them all out. <laughs> because my mother's biggest fear with the film was that they would portray us, like all of us, my family and us, like poor, dirty, uneducated Romani travelers. And the first time uh, the film crew filmed, my mother and father, they really stepped over a border, I must say. It was, and my mother had no problems telling them that. So she threw them all out and I thought that would be the end of the movie, actually. <laughs> I, it, was, yeah. I mean, it was terrible. It was No, with good reason. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. You want to portray us like poor, dirty and uneducated. This is why you do this documentary. Because it, it was not my documentary. It was like, a, I was just, you know... Just the subject or the object. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, but, you know, the director, Ida, handled it very sensitive, uh, carefully, I must say. And she managed to regain the trust from our families we could continue filming, but it was... And I must say the documentary is very, very sweet. It's not provocative or radical mm. at all, I must say. It's very sensitive and, like, searching. Mm. But we deal with some sensitive topics in the film, so, yeah... You know, but after we had filmed for like two years, I got this job at the Roma Army. And that, I think, was like winning the lottery for Ida. Because then I could talk about things like violence and sterilizations that is part of my family history. But through the scenes in Roma Army. And that made it mm. so much easier. Mm -hmm. I have another question for you. Yeah, um, sure, sure. You have your own band, your orchestra, the mm. Lindy and yeah. Bon, bon Band. Can yeah. you describe a little bit about you know, your work, the, what's the music, the, the shows that you do with your band? The first thing I want to say is like, the name is Lindy and Bonbon Bon Band, but mm -hmm. my suggestion was Lindy and Bengano Band. 
because Bangalore in Roman yeah. is crazy. The <laughs> yeah, crazy. Like Bang is devil yeah. and Bangalore is crazy. Yes. So I want to be Lindy the crazy man. And but the others didn't want to be uh, called Bangalore. So, <laughs> so now it's Lindy Bomb Bomb Bad. But in my heart, it's Lindy and Bomb. I like that name better too, actually. Um, I, I, right? I will call you that. <laughs> Good. But you know, okay, Lindy and Bomb Bomb Bad is like a dream project for me. I can here I can really live out my, you know, my my whole cabaret Almodovar uh, Fassbinder <laughs> fantasy in a way. And we play very like crazy cabaret music in a way. And we mix a lot of styles and languages. I think I sing in like Spanish, German, English, Swedish, French, Turkish, Romani, Romanes. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's very burlesque. I, I wear a lot of extreme costumes and, you know, very, very high heels. And, you know, in this band, I play with like gender and sexuality, ethnicity, exotism, escapism. You know, it's like it's like a dream. <laughs> it's like a dream. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, talking about singing, we have one question or request. Um, may we ask you to sing for us? Sure, I can sing a little if you want to. Yay! Yes. <laughs> yes. Can, what do you want to hear? Bill, what do we want to hear? Jelem Jelem? Oh, sure, yes. Sure. But okay, I, cool. I won't be able to continue the interview afterwards, but yes. <laughs> The song title Jalem Jalem was institutionalized at the national or international Romani anthem in 1971 at the First World Romani Congress. Until then, the song had been known as a folk song to a large number of Roma, primarily in the Balkans. After the Congress, the song was gradually disseminated as an international, at times political, official anthem. The third and fourth verses were conceived more or less anew at the 1971 Congress of the International Romani Union, along with the Romani flag, which usually accompanies the anthem in political contexts. Listen, I have to do a very soft version okay. of it, I think, because because of my neighbors also, and it's quite early, <laughs> but, but, but also my voice right now to sing. Or just a portion of it, the first part. Of yeah. I can do it on my little uh, electronic harp also, so you can hear how that sounds like. Oh. I can do my wow. best. Wow, you know. yes. I, I put it on and let's see if it's too high, just scream. <laughs> I do, like, do you hear it? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. 
Wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank But you. It's so, an interesting yeah. instrument, isn't it? It is absolutely. Yeah. I know what you mean with the computer yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, and you. Yeah, that's a perfect description. It is very kind of yeah, 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But you know, I, I just thought of one thing uh, about this uh, little light, uh, Lindy little light uh, documentary that I think it's important that I just have to mention. You know, it is when I when I see the documentary now. You know, it's wonderful to see, because I talked that my mother was so angry, so I just want to clarify one thing. But, you know, when I see the documentary now, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see my mo mother's journey in the film, I think. Because the first thing she says in the film is like, don't film me. It's very, you know. But in the last scene in the film, she's looking straight into to the camera and she speaks Romani. And, mm. and I think that's a beautiful journey, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that is yeah. that is very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about what role it plays for you to be Roma. About we talk about a lot with our guests about Romani identities. Mm. We want to show the heterogeneity of Roma, yeah. and we discussed it critically. Also, this question about the Roman identity. Um, maybe Bill, maybe you want to share some some of your thoughts about this. Well, yeah, I, I think it's always. Like I said at the beginning of the, the or introduction to, to all the podcasts, I think it's interesting to hear what this means to different people because different contexts, different places, but there's often very similar themes. And uh, it's something that we don't get a chance to talk about very often. So it's nice to hear it. At the same time, I understand it can be a very annoying question, depending on your mood or what, whatever context you're thinking about. Because I often, you know, sometimes I love talking about it and sometimes I feel like, oh, Is, it's not a big deal. Uh, don't bother me about it. And, and what's, you know, so it's, it's a personal subject. So it's sure. very personal. And uh, feel free to answer as you like or as you don't want sure. to. <laughs> But no, what does it mean for you to be Roma personally? Yeah. Okay. For, for me, being a Romano is all connected to my family, you know, to my mother and my mother's history. And for me, being a Roman is connected to my grandfather's scrapyard <laughs> and my grandmother growing up in a circus. And it's also connected to my grandmother's paintings. You know, she, she used to paint with sour milk and pigments. <laughs> and she she's told me that her paintings were not just like paintings. She said, "Can you? I can foresee the future in the painting. She said she was quite an artist, my grandmother, I must say, Lula. She was a character. And it's also very much, for me being a Roman, it's very much connected to the stories my mother used to tell us when we were kids, you know, stories about our Roman history. And the stories were almost like fairy tales in a way. And I remember all of us kids, you know, entangled in the car and my father was driving and my mother was pointing out places and where, you know, our relatives or other Romani travelers have used to stop and rest. And it's also being a Roman, this is very personal, but, you know, being a Roman is also connected to my father, of course, and his history of growing up in childcare and institutions and criminality. It's part of my father's history. Mm -hmm. You know, all the horrible, horrible, horrible things the Swedish authorities did to him and to other children. And, you know, a couple of years ago, my father got an apology and some money from the Swedish state because how they had treated him as when he was a kid. And, that oh, was, wow. uh -huh. and it was not just him, it was a lot of uh -huh. kids yeah. that got this apology and this uh, money because, no, they, it was terrible. They had really, the Swedish, they put children, this, during that yeah. time they put children in institution and they, it was, you know, because they had documented everything 
So it was, it's terrible to read, you know, it was total abuse. You know, it's terrible, but that's that's also great that there's this acknowledgement and that it has yeah. come forth kind of rather, you know, yeah. voluntarily or or uh, mm. in a, in, a, in a proper way. Whereas you know, in some places, yeah. people are still fighting to get yeah. this recognition yeah. and and have yeah, to fight yeah, yeah. long and hard. Yeah, but it's very you know, and it's you know, I remember when my father got his money. He went up to Stockholm. I was with him. I was playing at the Royal Dramatic Theatre at that time. And in the building next to the Royal Dramatic Theatre was, he went in, in, in front of a jury in a way and talked about his experiences. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then they decided if he should get money or, uh, or not, you know, and an apology. And I remember I, I got a phone call like three weeks later or something from my sister and I, um, and she said, "Yeah, he's he's going to get this apology and he's going to get this money, you know." And I, in the background, I heard my father just screaming, you know. And it was because it was such a big thing for him because, you know, when I read this stuff, then because it's like the uh, when I read the stuff that uh, that the document documentation of what he did to him, it's it's totally. It's terrible, you know. Uh, he was, for instance, he was like entangled in a bathtub for three weeks, you know, without changing the water. Oh. You know, like they wanted to see, and he was also up for, they discussed that they should like uh, sterilize him and lobotomize him. So it was like, you know, his history is so dark, you know, mm. and it felt so, for him it was, and for all of us, it was like a big thing that the state said, we are sorry. Hmm. We are sorry that we treated you and other yeah. kids yeah. like this. It is a big so, thing. Yeah. 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 But that's a part of my, me being a Roman. It's also because the, uh, the language, of course, uh, Romani that we spoke when I was a kid. But I, I also want to say because of your, uh, of your question that I know that some people are talking about that they feel like reduced when they get labeled like Romani artist. Mm-hmm. Or like they do Romani art. Some people, you know, feel like that. And I can totally understand that. Mm. Because as an artist, you want to work in different lay- levels and layers, but uh, and I understand it's problematic. But but for me, I feel it's a little bit different. I must say, because I know I'm an artist that happens to be Romano. But when I say I'm a Romani Romano artist, I don't feel reduced. Really, yeah. I, f- I feel enlarged. To be honest. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. very wise, uh, very wise man. Uh, to, to look at it this way, I think, mm. and and yeah, just some of our other guests. You know, what you say also resonates very much with like Ethel Brooks, who said, yeah. you know, to be Romani is family solidarity yeah. and responsibility, yeah. and talking about the stopping places uh, also, yeah. you know, reminds me of Daniel Baker a little bit, and, mm. and you know, uh, in that, you know, he also speaks about us being avant-garde and, and admired, yeah. and and yeah, Sandra and Simonita. Yeah. said Roma are like chameleons we're masters mm. of adaptation yeah. you know? <laughs> and you know, yeah. Jelko said we always find a way out where everyone else sees a dead end so so you you yeah. you exhibit some of those elements in your answer as well and mm. so yeah. it's it's a pleasure to to always hear it from a unique perspective but seeing how rich and how common in in some ways it is so I don't know maybe uh, do you think majority society can learn something from us do you think that we can be role models. How should we be role models? Do you have anything to say about that? God, I don't know. We are already all role models, you know. <laughs> we are here, you know, and I think when I, 
just the, the people you mentioned are, are role models for me, you know, and I, I think it's like, uh, when I listen also to Romatopia, what you are doing in Ariac and everything, it's, it's, it's so important, you know, but for me, it's very much, you know, oh God, it's a hard question, I think. I don't, I don't really know how to answer it, actually, but we are here and we are role, or role models already, I think. Yeah. No, that's great. That is a good answer. Yeah. yeah, it is. You know, a lot of a lot of Roma also like to emphasize traditions within their own families and mm. uh, things that happen from one generation to the next. And you you've given many examples mm. of that uh, yeah. today. Is there? I don't know if you had a chance to listen to any of our other guests, but uh, we had one guest in particular who who was, uh, for me personally, well, everyone is a wonderful person. I shouldn't uh, yeah. pick favorites, but I really <laughs> liked uh, Selma Selman, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she has this tradition where she burns a note every Friday. She writes down four, three or four wishes on it. I don't remember how, maybe it was five. <laughs> and every Friday, and then you light it, and then you go on with your life. It's kind of like a, a family ritual. Do you have anything like wow. that? Anything that's... <laughs> no, but I've got to start with that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I know that's what I said when I heard it too. I'm starting to do that. I, I haven't no, done it very know. regularly, but I only done it well, two or three times already. <laughs> no, really... know, the, the, the thing that comes to my mind is like my mother. We have a lot of uh, you know superstitions in the family. You yeah. would, you would yeah. say like so, but it's very much connected to the animals. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's like if we see a squirrel, you know, run from different side, it means uh, things that, or we hear an owl, it means things, and you know, stuff like that. So that's what it comes to my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's very much connected with the animals. I must say, animals yeah. was very important for us Romani travelers. You know, when we were selling stuff, we took our cats and like let the cats walk on our things that we should sell. That was very important for us. You know, they brought us luck and the horses, of course, and the squirrels. If, the, if a squirrel, squirrel, it's called mm-hmm. squirrel, right? Yeah, yeah. Cute animals. If they run from right to left, it's good for business. If it, they're left to right, it's bad for business. So it's, uh-huh. And if you hear an owl screaming at night, uh, in, uh, and sometimes you can hear an owl like a cat owl, it's, yep. it sounds almost like they say dressed in white. And that's you, you should avoid that because that means death, you know. So, so if you hear an owl, don't listen to it. Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> okay. but, no, it's very much you know, superstitious mm-hmm. in the family in a way, but I think it's quite Yeah, but I think it's great to hear those things if, if you're, when, whenever anyone is willing to share those kinds of things because yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, we learn about each other that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, time for a little game again, isn't it? Sure, <laughs> game, game on. Yeah, we will now read some, uh, we read some terms and you answer spontaneously, associatively, without thinking, just with one word or a very short sentence, okay? Sure. Stage. Oh, love and hate, love and hate, love and hate. <laughs> um, love. <laughs> oh, my dogs, my dogs. <laughs> Men. Oh, big children. <laughs> Not all of them. <laughs> Resistance. My mother. Animals. Oh, luck. Heroes. Little light. Yesterday. Oh, no, je ne regrette rien. <laughs> Tomorrow. No worries, no worries. Home. Family. Europe. Oh, it's the, yo, oh yeah, I have one. This is good. It's the final countdown. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. Okay, next one, politics. Politics. <laughs> oh, movements. So movements. Movements and movements, I think. Okay, next one is Dilino. Oh, yeah. We say Bengalo, but yeah. <laughs> That's actually my, my brother's uh, nickname. He was called the Bengalo. So <laughs> I think of my brother. My brother. Yeah. Okay. What about Bacht or Bachtalo? Oh, yeah. I, squirrels, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But only from right to left. No, other way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Gajo. Oh, we say Biru. Yeah, Biru. Biru. You say yeah. Biru? Yeah, we oh. say Biru. Okay. Biru. We say Biru. We say also have like another word for it, like uh, Ghana or Gabo, but we say uh -huh. Biru is our word for uh, non-Roman. Okay, that's yeah. the one you use more commonly. Okay. Yeah, Biru. All right, that's yeah. new for me. Yeah. And your reaction, please. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Biru. Oh, God, I shouldn't say, but the first thing that comes to my mind is my husband. But if I say that, <laughs> my, my mother's going to kill me. No. Because I said, like, no, listen, I said that, that at the wedding, I said, oh, this is my Biru husband. And she said, he's not a Biru. Don't you ever say that. Now it's a Romani. You can't say it. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Okay. All right, last word, anti-gypsyism. Yeah. Oh, listen, I this is quite easy. It's the supermarket pennies at Friedrichshain here in Berlin. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Can you explain you, that? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> listen, they say that Roma people are not allowed to buy things with coins in the shops. Oh, but my every, God. But everybody else are. So No, you know. come on. It is. It happened like the Friedrichshain penny market, or uh, yeah. no. <laughs> penny supermarket in Friedrichshain. Yeah. They so. like it was like two Roma girls who wanted to buy something, and they were like, "No, get out of here! You should." Do and then they apologized to all the people. They were like, "I'm so sorry, these people. We are so sorry for the." And I was furious. Like, "What do you mean?" And they were like, "Oh no, but you know, they, uh, so I can't buy with coins." You say, "Julia, of course you can buy. Others can buy with coins, you know, but not those." people wow yeah well that's 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 exactly anti-gypsyism perfect yeah, example perfect Penis. explanation yeah every day so oh wow i appreciate your originality to this this is a this was a nice surprise you made my oh. day and uh, <laughs> dear berlin people don't go shopping in the supermarket no, penny exactly. in friedrichshain no, kreuzberg thanks <laughs> dilno is the anglo-romani word for fool or foolish Dilino is the Central European version of the same word. It's the diminutive of the word dilo. This is originally an adjective, but can be used as a noun. And in both cases, even people who don't know Romani very well will often know this word. Bok is the Anglo-Romani word for luck. Its Central European version, bacht, means luck or happiness. Bachtalo is the adjective, means happy or lucky. It's typically used in a greeting, Teoves Bachtelo, may you be happy and lucky. Gorjo is the Anglo-Romani word for a non-Romani person. In Central European Romani, the word is gajo. In its original sense, it's not pejorative. Depending on context and tone of voice, it can be pejorative, and people not familiar with the Romani language often presume this negative meaning. Lindy, are you an yeah. optimist or a pessimist? I'm totally, I'm an optimistic person, I must mm -hmm. say. Okay, I have my moments. <laughs> I must say, I have my moments of darkness and despair. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to get up a bit of pressure and stress and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But but I, I am a very positive person. Mm -hmm. I am, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And thinking positive, if you could spend a day with one person of your choice, who would it be? One day. Yeah, I know I should say like Jesus or Buddha <laughs> or Madonna or Charlie Chaplin or something, something like that. But, you know, to spend a day with a person, it would not be a person. If I had a choice, I would say my little dog, Folke. He just passed away, you know, and I had, a, I just, I had him for 19 years. Oh, 19. I had one day more with my little darling that would make my day. So I said, I say, my little dog, Folke. I'm sorry, Jesus, but it has <laughs> my little dog. Oh, that's a very nice answer. I'm sorry about your loss for your dog. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if we imagine utopia, yes. what is your vision of a utopia or your dream for, for Europe? Sure. I, I think uh, utopia is like a big, big word. <laughs> and I think I have to narrow it down a little. So I have to start where I am right now and dig where I stand in a way. And uh, I can say, I, I, I don't know if that is utopia, but I have some, I have some wishes, I must say, mm-hmm. uh, for, for my community. And, you know, I, I, wish that, uh, I wish that we, the Romani travelers, were much more visible in the society and also in the Roma community, I must say. And I wish that our history, the Roman travel history and all the Roman uh, history were present in the history books. And I wish that our language, you know, Romani will survive, to be honest. And, you know, I talked to my mother about it a couple of months ago. I told her, like, I was so depressed. So I said, like, oh, God, Romani is going to die. Romani is not, nobody uses it anymore. It's going to be over with it. I talk about the Romani. I talk in Sweden, like scandal mm-hmm. Romani. And she said, no, 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 Linda, you are wrong. Romani is more alive than ever. And I said, where? And she said, on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook is going to save Romani. <laughs> and I said, how do you mean? And she said, like, yeah, you know, Romani travelers, we have started to connect with each other and write to each other in Romani. So the language is very much alive, she said. Mm-hmm. And that made me very glad and very hopeful in a way. And also I discovered this app. It's a Norwegian app where you can learn Romani. Mm-hmm. And, okay, it's, uh, it's a Norwegian app, so the Romani has like an, a Norwegian twist on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it's very similar to the, the Romani we talk in Sweden. And it's so wonderful, you know, to sit with this app and, uh, you know, reawake some forgotten Romani words, you know. What's the app called? It's called, I have it here. I, I want to download it. I want to yeah, learn. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna sh- it, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's so nice. And it's, uh, it's videos of these uh, Amigos. Amigos. It's a Norwegian app called Amigos. Okay, I will. I will. Look, I will. I will look for that. All right. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, I interrupted. If you want to continue about, you know, yeah, utopia, yeah, utopia and any kind it's of. It's called New Amigos. Yeah, the utopia. I go back to the utopia. Okay. One thing that I think is so beautiful with Roma Army is that Roma Army is like a celebration of the diversity of the Roma community, yeah. and that yeah. I would yeah. love to see in the Roma minority group in Sweden too. Because I have, I think we have a little problem in Sweden <laughs> with the inclusion mm-hmm. of the Roma minority in Sweden, and I, because I can't really see the diversity of the group, you know, mm. and uh, because it, it's very much connected to some faces, and I, I would love, you know, to see and hear many voices and many faces and many new stories, you know. I think we have a lot of work to do in the Roma minority in Sweden, but and it's a work of inclusion, and I mean it for real between oh, yeah. all of our groups. I agree 100%. And it's not just Sweden, yeah. it's everywhere. Sure. And 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 I, I I have another question for you, but I want to interject sure. here because I think what you say is very important and very valid because 
you know, there are different Romani groups, we have different traditions, and we don't all know about each other, and we don't learn about each other in school. So it's not Mm. automatic that we know about different histories. And sometimes when people who didn't learn these things in school are confronted with a different Romani experience, it's it's like, well, that's not my experience, so it's not the real one. And it's it's Mm. a common reaction. And I think we we can only rise above that if we learn about each other. And, and it's hard, Mm. you know, people, people asked me the the other day, it's like, Oh, is there some kind of solidarity between, you know, indigenous Roma groups that have been in France for, for centuries and the new ones who have come more recently. And well, unfortunately not very much you know there are individuals who who do work across these yeah. barriers but that's because they've taken the time to learn about each other they learn about their own history if we don't learn about our own history in school if we don't learn about other yeah. people's history we don't see the connection and and exactly. if someone claims to be something that we claim to be but they have a different experience yeah. then we reject it because we think someone's trying to gaslight us and and yeah. it's 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 a common story, and I yeah. think it's very important that we learn to learn our own history and learn our fellow Romani people's history exactly. and understand that we have many histories that fit into a pattern, but that are unique. And, and I think this is, these are, we need the new stories. We need the new connections and the new stories. And I love how you answered that thank mm. you you made yeah. me think a lot mm. okay yeah it's great and yeah. if if, if yeah. i may add it's also very important for the majority of societies that to show the diversity i, I think it's yeah. a very powerful way of countering these uh, yeah these prejudices and this image of the roma and the roma culture the roma problem whatever to to show yeah. like how how different and diverse the communities are so then we have one last game we play mm-hmm. with you. <laughs> sure. Imagine if you could ask one question on all radio stations, TV, print media in Europe for one day. What would it be? Oh, wow. I would like a question. Let's see, a question. No, I would... Maybe not a question. I would like to... To make like to make like a statement maybe or create a hashtag would be wonderful <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, you know something a strong hashtag that goes around that gets a lot of attention and goes around the whole world mm-hmm. and I think the hashtag has to be something connected with of course being a Romani traveler and it has to be written in Romani I think um, and a hashtag about visibility I think so something like I, I would love to see this has to go around the world. Hashtag Mander Honka Roman. Mander Honka Roman, can you explain? Mander Honka Roman, I am Romano. Mander Honka Romano is in our language, I am a Romano. Mm-hmm. And that, ah, Mander can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Mander Honka Romano. That would be wonderful <laughs> to see as a wandering around, traveling around the world, you know. <laughs> For me, yeah. at least. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And yeah. everyone asking themselves, what, yeah. what, what does it mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. No, it's been a pleasure, Lindy. Uh, and, and your wisdom on how you approach things psychologically is very Romano. Uh, and, and, you know, looking at the positive, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we had the chance to talk to you today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so, yeah. Thank you so much for having me here, I must say. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for being with, uh, with us for your time and for your openness. Um, it was a very thought-provoking and inspiring conversation. Thanks, Lindy. Thank you. Romatopia is supported by the Federal Agency for Civic Education and the Council of Europe Roma and Travelers team. Idea and concept, Isabel Rabe. Romatopia is hosted and edited by Isabel Rabe and William Bila and directed by Katja Lehmann. Sound design by Selamet and Kefait Prizreni. Cover motif by Daniel Baker. Production, Media Bricks Berlin, 2020.